Hello, everyone. My name is Kathy Bruner, and welcome to the inaugural episode of LifeSphere, a podcast focused on conversations with individuals in the life sciences, talking about how they see their work contribute to winning the race against time and achieving better patient outcomes. Each episode of LifeSphere will feature a conversation with thought leaders across a range of skills and disciplines. Our guest lineup for the season includes experts in drug commercialization, scientists, marketing, PR, analytics, and technologists. This podcast is all about important, challenging, and insightful conversations about current trends, future expectations, and everything in between, all while building a community. Acumen Analytics is a proud sponsor of LifeSphere. Through these conversations, LifeSphere will explore industry trends, must-have tools, careers, new skills, as well as, and most importantly, demonstrate the impact life sciences has on each of us. Our guests will share their unique take on the industry, including career advice, experiences, how to overcome hurdles, and more. Today's guest on the LifeSphere podcast is Hetty Strobel, president of Launch Excellence Partners, a former Merck executive with more than 25 years of experience in the life sciences. Hetty's focus is on global strategic marketing and commercialization and creating value for patients, providers, and payers. Today, we're going to talk about Hetty's passion for bringing innovation to patients through the practice of launch excellence. So let's get to it and begin our conversation to learn more about how Hetty helps win the race against time. Hi, everyone. Welcome to LifeSphere's inaugural launch episode. Today's guest is Hetty Strobel, founder and CEO of Launch Excellent Partners. Her firm focuses on global strategic marketing and commercialization, creating value for clients, patients, providers, and payers by optimizing launch and commercial success. Hetty is a former Merck & Company executive with more than 25 years of experience in the life sciences. Hi, Kathy. Um, I'm so delighted to be here today, and especially with your launch episode, and thank you so much for inviting me. Very excited. A little bit about why we're excited about LaunchSphere and this inaugural launch, and of course, inviting the launch folks with us, is the focus of LifeSphere is going to be about problem solving and inviting those folks to talk about challenges, new ways of thinking, different viewpoints, and really getting down to how we can help solve problems and challenges in order to get therapies to patients faster and actually ensure that they do make it to them. Because as we're going to learn today from Hetty, in some cases, products don't always make it to market. Excellent. Yes, I'm looking forward to share some of my experiences and the clients I'm working with in the startup community in life sciences. Wonderful. So Hetty, um, why don't we talk a little bit about what you see as the problem for companies who are trying to bring a new product to market successfully? So if you look at the literature, it's well documented that there's four uh, specific barriers for them. The first one is the time it takes from discovery until the patient can utilize the innovation is in the order of about 10 years. It varies by therapeutic area, but that's the average. And then secondly, it's very expensive, $350 million up to $1.2 billion in terms of the development cost to bring that innovation to market. Thirdly, 
is we see if you enter into the phase one study, uh, only about 15% of those companies actually got it or will get FDA approval um, at the end of that long 10-year period. And then the last one, which is even uh, more sad, is after all that time, the investment and being successful in getting FDA or EMA approval or another regulatory approval, only about two out of 10 patients, uh, two out of 10 companies are successful in um, uh, having a good launch or what we refer to as launch excellence. And that means they're not getting a strong update curve. They are not getting the market share they plan. They have less optimal reimbursement, which is obviously a huge challenge for patients. It means patients have to do more heavy lift to get this new innovation. And then the last part is it's disappointing for the internal and many times external stakeholders in terms of their revenue accomplished. Challenging. So um, can you talk maybe a little bit more about those critical elements that you think are necessary to bring innovation to the patient? Yes. So there's a few reasons why it takes so long, but there's also a few reasons why many companies fail. Uh, if you think about the investment, it's hard for startup companies to secure that amount of dollars to bring the innovation to patients. And then secondly, uh, the major reason why many companies, particularly startups, are failing is because they don't bring a product that has a strong differentiated value proposition to market. So those are key drivers. And also, currently, 65% of the 6,000 drugs in development or innovation in development are being done by these startup companies. Unbelievable, right? So um, can you talk a little bit more about what to focus on to address these challenges? How can people really begin to sort of target areas to perhaps affect some change? In my experience, um, I had a long career at a Fortune 100 company, Merck. It's a really uh, awesome company in many aspects with a strong science and then also evidence-based marketing. And that experience plus working with clients and what's available in the literature will show you that there's basically three critical elements to achieve launch excellence. And the first is to establish that product with a valuable, differentiated and meaningful value proposition. And that's across different stakeholders. It's not just the patient or the physician um, today. Secondly, how your organization is aligned uh, around a common vision is critical. And that also means everything you need to bring to, bring to the table to bring new products to market. It's very complex, it's cross-functional, multi-dimensional. And then the last element that is critical for launch success is to be able to identify the correct target audience across all stakeholders. And how are you going to engage effectively and efficiently with those external stakeholders? 
So those are the key strategic imperatives to launch a product successfully. Challenging indeed. So if you were to uh, maybe talk a little bit about what uh, success or experience uh, the Launch Excellent Partners team has had, and how you can help those companies who are really looking to bring their product to the patient successfully and leverage innovation. So one of the first places we start is what's called a target product profile. Um, you can see that like a blueprint for a house, what that house is going to look like and how it needs to be built and developed for people to live in. So the target product profile speaks to how exactly is your innovation going to be different? What do you need to deliver on? Are you talking about a product that needs to be taken once a day, an oral, an IV, a gene therapy, a medical device? So that very specific characteristics your product needs to be having that is substantially differentiated from anything today on the market, but also when you're potentially going to launch are you still then differentiated? So that's an area we focus on a lot with clients. And evidence have also shown those companies that submit a target product profile as part of their IND submission to FDA typically get approval earlier. And that's a big deal uh, in terms of your revenue, especially close to your end of life cycle. Um, the second area that's critical is your opportunity assessment. What are you really trying to address? And is your innovation uh, explicitly meeting an unmet need in the market? Who's going to be your competition? Uh, what real world data is available today to really understand the patient profile? So what does your patient look like? And that patient journey, how do they come within the healthcare system? What happens with them while they're there? Who makes decisions? What kind of decisions needs to be made and in what time frame? And then also how they exit and hopefully not re-enter the healthcare system. So that's a critical component. And then the third element that we focus on is called new product planning. And we have a very comprehensive framework uh, to help these companies understand where can you save time. Uh, for example, between phase one, phase two, and phase three, on average, irrespective of modality, there's a 40% white space. What does that mean? It means that's kind of a wait, waiting period where there's the innovation is not necessarily moving forward. It may be that you need to wait for end of phase two study for the FDA, not necessarily implying at all that the FDA delay innovation, but um, some companies don't look at those elements or they don't think about if I have a three months delay in my animal toxicity study, is it a three month delay in going to market? So that new product planning is critical. The last element that we focus on is really about 24 months before FDA approval, which is called launch strategy and planning. So we focus on those critical elements like where you're going to play, what you're going to do, 
how you're going to win and what you need to deliver to really show your stakeholders, whether it's investors or other stakeholders, that you have successfully uh, gained market opportunity and that your patients are really using your innovation. Excellent. You talked a little bit about shortening the timeline and maybe some things that can help do that. Um, I know there's a lot of different things uh, out in today's technology, artificial intelligence, a lot of different tools that can now be leveraged. How do you see the impact that the real world data adds as far as value with regard to getting the products to market? Um, I know we've worked in that space a little bit, but we see great value in that. It really brings the story home, I think. I think that together with your burden of disease and your unmet need are like cornerstones. So um, literature again show if you have a very good understanding using real world data about who exactly is your patient population, you can dramatically decrease your sample size. It has been proven. One can find the literature on PubMed. So that is critical. Let's look at an example of a diabetic product. Type 2 diabetes. There's about 28 million type 2 diabetic patients on the, in the market here in the US. So that is a very large population. And people may think that it's either you're taking metformin and the newer drugs or metformin and the older drugs and or you're on metformin and insulin. It's not so simplistic like that. But once you delve through real world evidence or you work with external parties to help get that data if it's not available in the literature, you can really form very distinct patient profiles and then develop your phase three protocol very clearly. It also helps you understand what could be potentially additional endpoints you can bring into your protocol. For example, your patients may be in hospital typically seven days for a certain condition. With your new innovation, could you save time in hospital? Could you save time on a ventilator? Could you save time in getting in the patient coming back to the hospital being readmitted? So those don't necessarily have to be primary or secondary endpoints, but they are definitely incredibly valuable by building those into your phase three data. Um, your phase three protocol. And that's one of the critical elements that real world data can bring for a company. Excellent. Another area that I think I heard you talk about uh, was this timeline that can shift from some eight years, perhaps at the, at the best uh, outcome, and even as far out as 16 years to actually have the product enter the marketplace. Could you talk just a little bit about the impact of that uh, optimizing the timeline and the work that Launch Excellence is doing that shortens the timeline? How does that impact the cost and the ability to get the therapy to the patient who's waiting? That is something that I'm personally very passionate about because I'm a pharmacist myself and um, it's the most rewarding um, part of your career when um, the pharmacist together with other stakeholders like the physician make a therapy available to a patient and you see it's life altering 
or in some cases even save patients' lives. So um, what we do, we have a checklist available because it's not one single item that you need to do to shorten that time frame. But it's very handy because a company can work through the checklist and say, what could really make a difference in my setting compared to my previous scenario? Um, some examples to look at is innovative trial designs. Uh, some of it would be AI technology. Uh, some would be focusing a lot on the patients you're going to enter in the study. And that enrollment period, the period keeping patients in, in the study, protocol changes, how much does that add to timelines and obviously also to budget. So we have a little cheat sheet, if you can call it that, that helps uh, companies look at these elements and say, which ones could I use? Biomarkers is an excellent example as well that many companies deploy. But in some situations, it may not be applicable or there may not be a solution, and that may extend potentially their development program. But it's really important that your clinical team, your cross-functional team, to bring your uh, product through the discovery and development, look at these elements and say, what if, what if, what if, and what can work for us? We did talk a little bit about what it is to have a successful launch. I do believe, though, there are times when even though there is a good product that should come to market, they may not necessarily actually make it to market. And I think you have some ideas and some experience in what Launch Excellence Partners can do. Uh, and it's not by the product design. It's actually just uh, perhaps a poor plan. Yes. So that is a very interesting space. I did work um, trying to understand between 2015 and 2020, there were close to 90 products approved by the FDA for patients who have cancer. And I really wanted to understand what does that uptake look like? And then obviously very important, how many patients have real access and coverage of that? So it was very disappointing to see how few patients and how few countries really took this new innovation and try and help patients have better lives or extend their lives. And there's a few factors that drive that. But one of the biggest um, elements are the fact that companies don't prepare long enough to understand the reimbursement of, um, environment. Um, a product with a new mechanism of action, a product with a different uh, dosage form, a product with a different um, modality, say injection versus a, a tablet, don't really make the cut to get you the right uh, coverage and reimbursement. Because you have to ask yourself the question, what are payers paying for today? Are they paying for mechanisms of action? You can argue in some extent, yes, but it's more about what's the outcomes that you are showing and how is it saving them money? I really understand the dilemma because you can think about if 10% of the 6,000 drugs are coming to market in 10 years time that's currently being developed, where does that money come from to cover that? So it's imperative for us as an industry and support 
functions and supporting companies that we think about access and reimbursement really early on. I think you bring up a good point and I have one question with regard to those companies who perhaps have done work outside of the United States and the United States healthcare system and perhaps have operated in the European market and are looking to bring their product into the US market and the complexity of the United States healthcare system and the reimbursement mechanisms and models um, and the considerations that really have to go into the thoughtful pricing strategies that they may not necessarily see as they think to bring their product towards the US market, which is very lucrative for a lot of yeah. people. Yes, um, I think um, complexity is definitely very prominent in terms of health insurance here in the US. Um, it's not necessarily exclusive to the US. One of the challenges many companies have, for example, um, what's required in the US in terms of what gets reimbursed may be very different than what may be required in Germany or the UK. So, for example, in Germany, quality of life is a critical parameter that the government look at in terms of funding the innovation. That's a parameter that's not on the list or very low on the list really here in the US, because how does the payer pay for your quality of life here in the US? They pay for real tangible outcomes. So those are the critical parameters that companies need to understand upfront. The country you're planning to launch in or to do your studies in, what are their requirements for access and reimbursement? And what time do you need to start those engagement? And under which conditions are you allowed to have those conversations? Excellent. Well, Hedy, I really want to thank you. What a fabulous conversation today, all about launch, launch of LifeSphere. But really more importantly, how is it that the Launch Excellence Partners team works to bring better therapies and innovation to the patient as we are all challenged in this very competitive marketplace. Thank you very much and have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Kathy. It was really a pleasure to be with you today. Wow, what an awesome conversation today. Thanks for listening. This has been the LifeSphere podcast with Kathy Bruner. If you are enjoying the LifeSphere podcast, give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and share us with your friends. Join us next time as we continue our conversation with change agents in life sciences, helping win the race against time. See you soon.